All right, to today's teaching is titled To Catechumen with Love. And just allow me to create the narrative before I explain this title. So today we're closing out um, our series on Shaped for Significance, and we're going to be focusing on the gift of teaching. Uh, anyone have the gift of teaching? See one hand, and all people here. Very encouraging. When you search the entirety of Jesus' ministry, uh, or even the ministry of the early church, the leading cause of their death or persecution had to do with their teaching. Um, so I was trying to get you guys a little bit more energized because as I stand here today, I'm fully aware that someone will be offended. By what God will say to us through his word, not by me, but God, right? Uh, my job is to present the word of God with conviction because I believe in the word of God. You guys believe in the word of God? I see a little more hands. Good, good. Your job is to determine how you make application of God's word if you believe his word is true. What I want you to take from this series is that God has gifted each of us spiritual gifts for the benefit of his church. And whether or not you fulfill your calling as a believer, God doesn't take back the gifts he's given to us. There's no take backs. Romans 11:29 tells us, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So God calls each of us uh, to use our gifts to expand his kingdom. Now, failing to get involved makes you a spiritual consumer. Being a spiritual consumer is not the plan of God for our lives, so God desires for us to activate the gifts. When we activate our spiritual gifts, it stretches us beyond our comfort. Uh, we look at our schedules, uh, we consider what we have to sacrifice. And the truth is, Sometimes the stretch is too much for our comfort, but God looks at us metaphorically and says, it's time to stretch beyond your comfort for the expansion of his kingdom. Look at someone next to you and say, stretch beyond your comfort. You guys can't even talk to your neighbor. What's going on today? Let's look at our, our text one more time for the series, Ephesians 4, 11, verse 13. 11 through 13. Can, can we read together? I'm trying to get you guys live enough a little bit. I didn't hear you guys singing a whole lot. Can we stand and read together? Let's see if that will work. Yes? Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And it reads, And he himself, not prophets, some evangelists, Uh, they learn from professors. 
professors and they, you know, make sure they follow a degree completion plan. But when it comes to the Word of God, people don't often see the same value in learning from those who God has gifted to teach in His church. Being smart has nothing to do with dissecting the Word of God. Ephesians 4 tells us that some people are simply gifted to teach. That's what we read, right? Yes? Uh, every so often, the Wi-Fi will act up in this building. And since we have enough intelligent people, they can often figure it out and get it to work. But at some point, the same problem reoccurs if it's something outside of, of their expertise. But if the technician from the internet provider shows up, we have a greater chance of them solving the problem because of their expertise in the company's product. Not necessarily that they are the smartest technicians, but they understand the company's product. The Word of God is not something that we figure out. It's not about getting five intelligent people to share their perspective. God reveals His Word to those He can trust to communicate His Word. He can trust them because He has deposited a gift in them. As it relates to God's Word, when you believe it's more beneficial to figure out things on your own, rather than finding someone who has this gift of teaching, maybe you're not as teachable as you thought. Now, I'm going to show us some responsibilities that we have, and then I'll give you an example in Scripture. Here's our, our first focus here, our responsibilities with the gift of teaching. The first responsibility is this. We are responsible for identifying and discovering our spiritual gifts. God grants us these spiritual gifts. He reveals them to us by His Spirit. And through our spiritual growth, we activate those gifts. Everywhere I've lived, I've submitted all my gifts to God through the submission to the leaders of that church. Um, if they needed a worship pastor, a musician, a preacher, a web designer, a teacher, a bus driver, I submitted willingly. You would never find me saying my gift is too advanced for the instruction. I'm always saying, God, what are you trying to teach me during this process. Through those moments of submission, I discovered that God was calling me to teach and to be a pastor, so I'm not a bus driver today. When you discover your spiritual gift, humility is a part of the growth process, and God rewards what He sees from our actions. The second responsibility is this, we are responsible for demonstrating the characteristics of the gift or gifts that we've been given by God. For example, a generous person seeks opportunities to give. Um, they don't give based on convenience, out of convenience. They give as part of their DNA. I know some of you guys are givers. Any generous people we have here? You, your gift is generosity. I see heads of government like, I know you're generous. So we must demonstrate the characteristics of our gifts. Teachers teach, givers give, 
and believers make disciples. The third responsibility is that we are responsible for learning about the function of our gifts. During the growth process of our spiritual gifts, we learn our limitations. For example, during COVID, I learned that I'm a better communicator if I script what I want to say. Now, you guys might be good to memorize 4,000 words in your head. I script mine. I've learned that one distraction or a problematic phone call can modify your emotions, which can also alter the effectiveness of how we communicate. If I have everything scripted thoughtfully, regardless of the distractions, it doesn't alter my ability to communicate. One of the worst things for me when I'm trying to say something, and all of a sudden I get distracted, I'm like, what was I saying? And you lose it. It's right down, it's there. If you guys take my iPad right now, I can go right back and find it. But more importantly, I wrote it, so I know what I said, but you know, it helps me to say exactly what I want to say. So scripting my communication also allows me to anticipate audience response. But more so, it helps me to narrow my focus. Understanding our spiritual gifts and how they work, it helps us in our understanding of our strengths and weaknesses. But it also contributes to the body of Christ. Now, I want us to look at the explanation of the gift of teaching. We are naturally born with ignorance, and we must be taught language, motor skills, cultural norms, social practices, and moral values. A good teacher helps to impart knowledge to replace the ignorance that we're born with. As it relates to our spiritual gifts, the gift of teaching refers to the supernatural ability to instruct and communicate the truths of God's word. Throughout the New Testament, we're told that pastors must be able to teach, but we're also told what they should teach. Pastors must teach sound doctrine based on the word of God. Now Jesus gave us this blueprint concerning how no, we should teach. Um, I'm going to read a few of them here for us. He used illustrations, Luke 7, 31 to 32. Object lessons, Matthew 6, 28. Current events, Luke 13, 4 to 5. Stories, Matthew 13, or Mark 4, verse 2. Lectures, Matthew 24. Dialogues, John 3. Rhetorical questions, Luke 18, 8. Hyperbole, Matthew 5, 29. Metaphors, John 9, 5. Provocative language, Luke 13, 32. And my favorite, Jesus gave homework to follow. Matthew 9, verse 13. Matthew 12, verse 7. But Jesus says something important about the relationship between the teacher and the student. In Luke 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Notice that the verse never said that we will know everything, but there's a process where we can be perfectly trained by our teacher. People often say practice makes perfect, and someone says actually it's perfect practice that makes perfect. 
There must be a willingness from a teacher to teach and a willingness from the student to learn. So in my humility, I have a responsibility to learn the Word of God and be perfectly trained by a teacher. And then in your humility, you are responsible for learning everything that I know about the Word of God. There's something else the verse suggests to us. It says that you have an obligation to learn directly from the teacher. For example, uh, we had a meeting last week with minister leaders, and we were talking about the different roles within our team. And I mentioned how Pastor Mimi oversees spiritual formation. This includes prayer ministry, connect groups, pastoral care, and our future ministers and training. We have our eyes on a few people that we believe that God has gifted to teach, and we're hoping to get them to start teaching on a Sunday. If you want to learn everything about connect groups, the only person who can offer that information is Pastor Mimi. Why? Because she's the only person in this church that's been empowered to teach the direction in this area of ministry. So, if she's not a part of the conversation within our connect groups, then it's not in alignment with our vision. And I dare to say, it's a renegade group, and I wrote that down. If we had more pastors serving in leadership, I'd be saying the same thing concerning their ministry. Acts 2 highlighted that the growth of the church was a result of the unity that existed in the apostles' teaching. It never said that the apostles taught everything, but there was a process. Here's what I know. The leadership model in scriptures works. Acts 2, 42 says, and they, talking about the church, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Once you have been taught, you are responsible for teaching someone everything that you know about the Word of God. That's how we make disciples. But there's a process prescribed in Scripture, and that's what we're going to follow as a church. So, be careful how you choose a church because you have a biblical responsibility to learn from the teachers in that church. God places us in the body of Christ to learn something specifically based on where we're assigned. In this season, you're probably assigned to this church. Now, because of the transiency of this church, we know that part of our mission is to train or teach the next generation of ministry leaders. This, you know, when we had met last week, we talked about how we had nine different leaders serving in a certain role that are no longer serving this year. It just happens there's always this constant rotation. But here's how we miss our assignment. As we're teaching what God has instructed, someone attends a conference elsewhere. And then they return frustrated that our church is not teaching the principles that they learned from that conference. The problem is not the principles of that conference. The problem is not even the teachings of this church. The problem is something that people fail to understand. Wherever God has placed you in the body of Christ, you must first understand the assignment of that church. 
Once you have discovered your spiritual gift, you identify how you can use your gift to equip the believers in that church. There are times in life when your assignment shifts, but that doesn't mean the church's assignments have shifted. Let me say it again. There are times in our lives when we believe that God is leading us in a certain area, and that assignment might shift within our lives, but that doesn't mean the assignment that God has given for the church has shifted. When we sense something has shifted in our, in our lives spiritually, we have to learn how to discern the voice of God for our next step. We can't change something because we're changing. I remember in, in 2019, I was having a meeting with someone and they were in opposition with our beliefs with um, same-sex um, marriage. And in that meeting, they said to me, I understand the church's position, and I always feel loved by the church, but I'm going to stay here hoping and praying that one day you guys will change. I said to them, I wouldn't pray for that because we're not going to change. And if the church changes the beliefs, then I probably won't be here. So now you know my thoughts in, as far as that's concerned. It doesn't matter how we believe about something. There is a vision and mission that God has given every church within every city. And then as each church fulfills their mission, collectively, the body of Christ is edified. There's no church that can embody all that God has taught us to do. So as we have our spiritual gifts, we have to say, God, if you call me here, how do I use the gift that you have given me? That's how it works. Now, let's look at this example of the gift of teaching. And I'm going to use Luke as an example of a teacher. We don't know much about Luke because he's only mentioned three times in the New Testament. Only three times. We learned that he was a physician. He served alongside the Apostle Paul. And in fact, Luke was the one who ministered to Paul in his, in his final years um, in his imprisonment. We don't know when and where Luke was converted. Um, he introduced himself in Acts 16 during Paul's second um, missionary journey. Leading up to Acts 16, Luke wrote about Paul and Silas, and he repeatedly referenced that they did some, or they went somewhere. But from that moment onwards, from Acts 16 onwards, he says, we, to identify himself as part of the mission team. A more in-depth analysis reveals that he learned from the Apostle Paul before interjecting himself in such a ministry role as a teacher. God used Luke to write two significant books in the Bible. You know those two books? Come on. Luke and Acts, thank you very much. Now, I want to think about this for a moment. Jesus is the promised Messiah that the Jews anticipated. 
He was born into a Jewish family. He was raised according to the Jewish law in a Jewish town. And then Jesus selected 12 Jewish disciples, taught in Jewish synagogues, traveled primarily in Jewish cities, and his mission on earth was in fulfillment of the Jewish prophets. Here's the remarkable thing. Of all the authors that God used to write the New Testament, Luke was the only one who was a Gentile. Think about that. The only one that was a Gentile. How could God use someone that should be considered unqualified, a misfit with such an important role? God used the gifted in Luke to articulate the truth of the Gentile world. So as you can see, God is always using the misfits. Let's look at Luke 1, verses 1 to 4. And as much as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. These first four verses of Luke gives us great insight into how Luke operated in this gift of teaching and what motivated him to do so. So Luke is writing to a man named who? Who? Theophilus. Theophilus. Based on how he addresses him, scholars believe that Theophilus was a Roman official who recently converted to Christianity. So he is writing to this young believer in the faith. The word used to describe what Theophilus had been instructed in verse 4 gives us our English word catechumen, hence today's title to catechumen with love. Catechumen is a person who, who is being taught the basics of Christianity in preparation for baptism. Just one word gives all these other words. I just love these words, catechumen. Luke is writing to the seven believer and he explains why he's writing and how he came to this conclusion. So let's look at these characteristics that Luke reveals. Number one, is that the teacher is a seeker of the truth. When we think of a teacher, we think of those presenting the truth. But teachers are constantly seeking the truth. They rarely take people's word for it. If someone makes a claim, a teacher will naturally investigate until they know the truth of themselves. And when I say things, I often see you guys flipping through your Bible or your phone. Fact check. Teachers are rarely satisfied with assuming that someone is correct. That's one of the reasons why I teach the way I do. I anticipate your desire to investigate God's word. By the time Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, it was around AD 60. The Gospel of Jesus was spreading throughout the region. Jews were being saved, Samaritans were being saved. Gentiles who are hearing the gospel, they're being saved. So by the time Luke is writing this book, 
Many books had already been written about Jesus. Even the skeptics were writing about Jesus in, attempt, in attempts to distort the truth. So Luke was led by the Holy Spirit to write an account that would be accurate and trustworthy. So to accomplish this, he had to weed through the misrepresentations of Jesus to get to the truth. Now, like the Amplified Version of Luke 1, verse 3, it says, It seemed fitting for me as well, and so I have decided, after having carefully searched out and investigated all the events accurately from the very beginning, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, when he talks about from the beginning, he's not talking about Genesis to that point. He's talking about the ministry of Christ from the beginning of that. Why did Luke investigate everything? Well, he wanted to know the facts so he could have an accurate account of what had taken place. So these are the people that God will trust with his word. Those who are willing to investigate an accurate account of his word. See, a good teacher wants to know why Matthew 17 verse 21 is missing from the ESV Bible. Or why the newer versions of the Bible are missing 16 or more verses. See, the way how we read, we fail to realize that our Bibles are often missing words. So you go to Matthew 17, you go to verse 20, you go straight to verse 22, because our eyes are not looking for numbers. Teachers want to know why. I mean, you guys like to know, investigate, and you see why. So a teacher is a seeker of the truth. Second is the teacher is organized in their method. A person with the gift of teaching usually takes a meticulous intentional process to obtain the truth. Luke tells us how he sought his truth. He says, I investigated everything carefully from the beginning. Luke says, I'm going to fact check every eyewitness account to ensure everything I write is true. Certain facts about Jesus had already been established, so with these eyewitness accounts, he wants to ensure that he had the information from these first-hand people. So they shared about the compassion of Christ and how he spoke with authority and had power over demons and death. I can just imagine Luke talking to Jairus' daughter, trying to understand you know, how she felt, knowing that she died and came back to life. It is also possible that Luke read the Gospel of Mark, Mark was the first gospel that was written. It was written uh, approximately 30 years before Luke actually wrote his book. Luke might have, might have also read Matthew. Matthew is the second gospel that was written 15 years before Luke wrote his gospel. So he had access to reading these before he writes his book. Approximately 50% of the 678 verses in the gospel of Mark are also found in the gospel of Luke. So Luke's investigation confirms what was already written. So Luke spoke even to Christ's enemies, the guards. And with each conversation, he was studying, comparing, and learning so he might know the truth. Luke was saying to Theophilus, you can trust my words because I've done my due diligence as a teacher. I've, been, I've interviewed examined everything, prayed, compared the eyewitness account, met with the apostles, and ultimately, I've been led by the Spirit of God. So a teacher is organized. The 
The teacher is systematic in their presentation. Notice what Luke says in verse 3. It seemed good to me also to write to you an orderly account. So a person gifted to teach enjoys sharing the discovery of their research. Luke confirms this verse. But Luke also did something that no other author did within the Gospels. Luke shares six miracles not recorded in any of the other Gospels. He also has 18 parables, some suggest it's 19, but he had these parables only recorded in his Gospel. In addition, Luke gives almost twice as much detail about the, uh, the birth and the life of Christ. He talks about Christ's early you know, childhood. In the book of Acts, Luke also writes chronologically to ensure nothing is lost. He talks about the ascension of Christ, leading into the coming of the Holy Spirit, talk about the establishment of the church, and he talks about the spread of the gospel. So through his writings, Luke systematically explains the historical account of the life of Christ and the early church. So a teacher is systematic. The teacher is also intentional in their purpose. A great communicator teaches so that we might feel a certain way. That's what great motivational speakers do. They're concerned about the feelings. My wife often talks about that she's a feeler. She feels things. They consider your emotions and how you will feel due to their delivery. But sorry to break it to you. Teachers are not always great motivational speakers because they don't teach so that you can feel a certain way. A teacher has one primary job, to help the listener know the truth. That's it. Which is why I suggested earlier that we looked at all the New Testament, the apostles in Christ, it was always about the teaching that got them in trouble. It was never about feeding the 5,000 or feeding the 4,000. It was always about the teaching. What gospel are you teaching? So a teacher's job is, their number one job is not about your feelings doesn't mean they don't have feelings, but their objective is to make sure that you have the truth that's supposed to be paraphrased. So, so Luke said this, he says to the others, I don't really care about what you know. I want you to have all the facts. I don't want you to, you know, have any doubts or uncertainties about Jesus. So he's saying, I've examined everything, and here is the truth. The teacher aims to teach facts. Their message is this. Don't just believe mindlessly. Know the truth. That was Luke's message to Theophilus. And that's my message to you. Don't just take everything that I'm saying mindlessly. Go ahead, investigate. But I also want to provide you with some encouragement in the event that you're like, I believe that teaching is a gift that I have. Let me start by saying that God holds teachers to a higher standard than pastors. James 3 verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. 
Knowing that God will judge teachers stricter, here are four encouragements for those who believe they have the gift of teaching. Number one, consider your motive for wanting to teach. Some desire to teach because they see teaching as a title or it allows them to garner the respect from others. But teaching is a spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4, 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's what we do as teachers. We speak as oracles of God. We are suggesting that what we say is God's truth. But we're also suggesting that we can only teach based on the ability which God supplies so that he can be glorified. God suggests that if we speak on his behalf as teachers, he's holding us accountable with this stricter judgment. Number two is that teachers must be willing to demonstrate a commitment to rely on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. While the teacher needs to discover new ways of presenting the truth, they must be careful not to add or take away from the Scripture to make new truth. Teachers must study the Word of God, trust God's Word, rely on God's Word, and communicate God's Word. Let's look at the sufficiency of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16-17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Which means we don't need new truths. Because God has already given us what we need to serve in heart. Next encouragement is that teachers must communicate in practical and simplistic terms. The aim of teaching is to effectively communicate God's word, not to impress with knowledge or immense vocabulary. There's no need for me to come here and try to start speaking in Greek. Anyone speaking Greek? Any Hispanic speakers in here? I don't speak Spanish either. Which means, when we come in here, we're primarily going to be speaking in English. Is that all right? Yeah. It's okay? Because even if we speak in tongues, we get an interpreter. The aim of teaching is to just communicate God's word. Look at Paul's encouragement to Timothy. Again, I'm showing you this in the Word of God, that I'm not making it up. 2 Timothy 2.14. He says this, Remind them, talking about the church, Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Simplicity doesn't mean we're devaluing intelligence. Teachers are simple and clear in their speech so that the audience can understand and make an application of the instruction. I mean, what's good of it if I come in here and just speak something, katakuma, what does that mean? 
Like everything they say, you gotta look in what it means. No good, right? So you speak in simplistic terms so you can understand and make application. But the final and most important encouragement is that the centrality of the message is Christ. While teachers are always excited to share discoveries and details that they've learned, Paul reminds us, Colossians 1, 28-29, Him, talking about Christ, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Our message as teachers should never overshadow the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. We preach Jesus. Amen? God is still using the gift of teaching to equip the body of Christ for the work of ministry. Here's how I'm going to close this message in this series. Whether you are a member of this church or not, I want you to consider the spiritual gift that God has given you. I want you to think about a gift right now. Think about something that you're really, really good at. Can you guys think about it? Do you have something right now that you're really good at? I really want you to think about this gift. Otherwise, what I'm going to say won't make sense. So, we all have a gift that God has given us. Yes? Nod head, hands up, thumbs up. Okay. Now that you, now you, now that you have that gift that God's given you, I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. It says, For we believers will be called to, to account and must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be repaid for what has been done in the body, whether good or bad. That is, each will be held responsible for his actions, purposes, goals, motives, the use or misuse of his time, opportunities, and abilities. You might be wondering, why did I ask you guys to think about it again? If God had to repay you today, not tomorrow, if God had to repay you today for all that you've done to expand his kingdom this past year, your actions, fulfilling his purpose, your motives, your generosity, your use or misuse of your time, opportunities, and abilities, if God had to repay you today, how would you rate your reward? Since we all have a spiritual gift by God, if God had to repay you based on how you use the gift that he's given you, how would you rate your reward? See, God uses seasons to help us realign our lives to fulfill his purpose. Throughout this series, we've been looking to God's word to discover how we've been given these gifts and how we've been equipped to serve God in His church. We don't just attend a church. We are the church. And we aren't just part of the church. We have been placed in the church and gifted uniquely with spiritual gifts so that the church will be edified. 
When you confess Jesus as Lord of your life, you are instantly sealed by the Holy Spirit and adopted into God's family. Romans 8, verses 40 to 70. And then you are equipped with a gift to be used for the common good of his family, the church. Wherever we live, and for however long we live in an area, God expects us to activate our gifts along the way. You have an opportunity to benefit from my gift as a teacher. What is your gift? Have you discovered your gift? Are you even growing in your gift? But more importantly, are you using your gift for the glory of God so that we all can benefit from this gift? Emerge must be a church that commits corporately to identifying our gifts, growing in them, but most importantly, putting them to work for the glory of God. If teaching is your gift, surrender to the Lord and begin your, your development in the gift of teaching for the glory of God. If teaching is not your gift, recognize those gifted in teaching and thank God for their gift. Maybe this isn't where you are today. Maybe you can't discover your gift because you first need to experience God's gift of salvation. Remember what Luke told the Theophilus. I'm writing so that you may know the exact truth about these things. What was the truth he was talking about? Luke 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is the exact truth that Luke wants you to know. It's the truth that will determine where we'll spend eternity. I'm going to pray for us. And since we're closing out the series, and we've been talking about you know, this being or you know, last Sunday at St. John's, this is an opportunity for us to realign ourselves. Consider how we've been using our spiritual gifts for the benefit of the kingdom. And as we're you know, moving into this next season of our lives, it's important for us to not consider you know, that your gift is insignificant. It's not church as usual. We want to benefit from your gift. This is an opportunity for you to consider your gift. So I'm going to be praying for us in that way. But I also want to pray for those who might not have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're watching, or maybe you're here in the room. Praying that you will understand that God has sent his truth for all of us. Let us pray. Lord, I pray first and foremost for the one that doesn't have a relationship with you. I pray, God, that you will help them to know that you sent your truth. And it's through your truth, God, that we can accept you know, the gift of salvation in our lives. I also pray, God, for all of us. Maybe we haven't used our gift. Maybe we didn't believe that the gift could be used within the church. But your word tells us that all of us have been given the gift to equip the body of Christ. It's not about a title within the church. 
It's about whether or not we activate the gift that you've given and how we can use it to benefit the body of Christ. So I pray God for us as a church, as we're entering this next season, I pray God specifically for all of us in this room, for all of us that consider merge to be their church home, that we look within ourselves and say, God, I'm submitting the gift that you've given so the entire body of Christ can benefit from this gift. God, we want to benefit from the gift that you've given to each person that put their trust in you. So I pray, God, that this will be a realization that you're calling us to something greater than what we do. Lord, that your will be done in and through our lives today. Move the rest of us. Help us to see the need to equip the body of Christ, the gifts that you've given. Lord, we just love you, we 